Let me ask you an important question. Why are you here this morning? You personally, why did you show up? Think about your motives for being in church week after week. If I were able to somehow connect lie detectors to the place you're sitting uh, and the results were shot onto the screen, what would you be saying about why you're here? Some might say, oh, it's the teaching, it's the preaching, it's the focus on the Word. Other might say, like someone said after the first service today, I come because of the coffee. It's so good. It's so good. But why are you here? I mean, if it's for the teaching and preaching, you can get that online, right? Of course, I must insert here that in the live preaching, there is an active work of the Holy Spirit that doesn't exist in recordings. But maybe for you, church is just about tradition. It's just about, this is what you do. This is what your parents did. It's what their parents did. And this is what we do. We come to church on Sundays. Maybe church is some social construction that helps people deal with their stress. Maybe you're a stressed out person and this helps. Maybe you want your kids raised around other relatively well-adjusted kids. So the question remains, why are you here? If the church is indeed God's idea, which Scripture says it is, why did he create the church? What really is the point of being here on Sunday morning? Well, today I want to explain to you from Psalm 119, verse 74, the answer to this question. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open your copy to Psalm 119, verse 74, and I'm going to read it for you and do my best to explain my introduction. It says this, Psalm 119, 74, those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. You might think, okay, it's going to be interesting. Pastor John's going to explain the point of the church from an Old Testament passage. Uh, Psalms, no less. This ought to be interesting. Well, uh, I think that this verse has some important lessons to teach us about the importance of authentic believing communities. Authentic Christian communities, if you will. Churches. Uh, the benefit and blessing of an authentic Christian community, I think, is revealed here in this text. And maybe might even answer the question I began with. Why am I here? So, a community of believers whose purpose it is to glorify God through caring for one another, loving one another, and living life together in close-knit community, I think is reflected in these verses. Our purpose statement at Sun Valley Church says, Sun Valley Church exists to glorify God by creating an authentic Christian community that's gospel-centered, grace-driven, and mission-minded. It's a mouthful. What's it mean? What does it mean to be in an authentic Christian community? This is a community that loves one another, cares for one another, lives together, walks through the life of faith with one another. I want to unpack that for you today. We believe that the Bible teaches that God is glorified in his people when we practice and experience an authentic Christian community. This is what the one another's, I believe, are all about in the New Testament. Some would say that having an authentic Christian community is very rare, maybe even impossible in our individualistic culture. Maybe they're right. 
But I want to whet your appetite, Sun Valley Church, in this regard. I, wanna, I want to try to convince you from the text today, uh, try to help you see from the text today that your personal spiritual growth, your enjoyment of the family of God are all wrapped up in participating personally in an authentic way in an authentic community. I want you to believe that, and I want you to live like it. I think Psalm 119, verse 74 is going to help us better understand this and what it means to live in a Christian community, an authentic Christian community, and how we might be better at doing that. This verse obviously speaks about the importance of placing our hope and trust in the Word of God uh, so that when we go through troubles in life, when we have difficulties or when we experience joys and so forth and so on, we lean on the Lord, we trust His promises, and we do that together. And when we do that... And it seems that we're encouraged by one another. Our lives become a source of encouragement to those around us when they see how we've depended on God, when they see how we've survived a particular challenge. It makes people around us rejoice and hopeful. God's mercies are given to his children to be a source of joy and comfort to the rest of us. So there's a point to being here. Let's look at what this verse says about this. And I've has two points that I want to cover. First is the character of an authentic person, and the second is the role of an authentic person. I want to add authentic godly person. Because I mean you can be authentic and not know Christ. People are living like that all the time. But I think it's important that you hear me say these verses speak about an authentic godly person. One who's concerned about the family of God. So let's look first of all at the character of the authentic godly person. Look what the verse says. I think this verse describes believers, those who put their hope and trust in God. In fact, all of scripture reflects the truth seen here. And what's it say? Those who fear you will see me. And who are those folks? And what are they doing? They're fearing God. Those who fear God are those who believe in him, those who trust his word. Those believe that the word of God speaks God's truth, his revelation. So the first thing we see, the first thing that I want you to notice is that the Bible describes believers as those who fear God. Now that, again, I've covered this before, but I'll say it again. It's not a servile fear where you're afraid that he's going to crush you if you take one misstep. It's a filial fear. It's, it's a, a, a fear that you won't please him. It's a fear that you might fall away from him and, and cause less joy in God. It's, it's a fear that's reflected in the following two verses, Psalm 33, 18. Behold, the eyes of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. So fearing God and hoping in his steadfast love are connected to the minds of the psalmist. It says the same thing or similar in Psalm 147, 11. But the Lord takes pleasure. The Lord enjoys those who fear him. <laughs> In those who hope in his steadfast love. It's a filial fear. It's a positive thing. So a sincere and healthy, authentic Christian is known by the fear of God. A, a, a consistent, constant obedience to his commands. Not wanting to disappoint, but to bring joy to our God. And then, of course, a commitment to, a trust in, a dependence on God's goodness. This is also what it means to fear God. I believe that following God is a good thing. It will result in good things. Secondly, we see in this verse, verse 74, 
the believers are described in scriptures, not only those who fear God, but those who hope in his word. You see the second half of verse 74? They hope in his word. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Is that a description of your heart, your mind? That you hope in the Lord, you, you, you wait on him, you believe his word, that's where your hope is found? Well, that's the description, biblical description of an authentic, godly person. One who fears the Lord and hopes in his word. It's a simple definition of a godly, authentic person. But I want to spend most of our time now in, on this second point. The role of an authentic, godly person. This verse is clearly states what they are, or who they are. But now I want you to focus on the role. What do they do? What do these godly people do? What should you and I be doing? What should, what should our conduct, our thinking, our attitudes be reflecting in our being here this morning? Why are you here? This second point, I think, answers the question. Let me read for you a couple verses that will, will get us going. Romans chapter 1, verse 12, the Apostle Paul said, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Seems that Christians are to be an encouragement to one another, according to Paul. Psalm 64, verse 10, let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. When the righteous people do that, they rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him, what happens? Look at the second half of the verse. Let the upright in heart exult. When you and I... Rejoice in the Lord, take refuge in God, believe in Him, fear Him, obey Him, follow Him. The upright in the room will exult. They'll rejoice. So what we see from these two verses, one Old Testament, one New Testament, is that as believers we play an important role in the spiritual life of each other. How you participate or not affects me and vice versa. We are in this together. I want you to notice that our godliness, from what I've said already, that our godliness should result in the joy and encouragement of those around us. And of course, the lack of godliness would have the opposite effect. This was the point of our reading from Luke 15 this morning. The experience of the characters that Jesus' story told were what? What was the, what was the experience of those people in those three stories? The lady who lost the coin, the rancher who lost the sheep, the, the father who lost the son. What did they all experience at the end of their stories? Joy, right? The, the farmer who lost the sheep called his rancher friends together and they celebrated. The lady who lost the coin gathered her, her neighbors together and celebrated the finding of the coin. The father who lost the son, when he came home, called his family and friends together and celebrated that very thing. The experience of the characters reflects how you and I should experience the Christian life. How can we be sure that we experience these kind of things at Sun Valley Church? When we began Sun Valley Church about 17 years ago, uh, those of us who were kind of planning how this might go, we wanted to make sure that we weren't playing church. Some of you remember those conversations. We don't just want to show up and pretend like we're doing church. We actually want to experience what God would have us experience. How do we continue to ensure that here? 
in this church so that you're just not here. Well, when I used to leave our home when I was a child, my mom always used to say to me, John, be a blessing. Not sure if she was super concerned about that, but that's what she always said to me. John, be a blessing today, those of you encounter. Our text says something very similar. Those who fear you, those who embrace Christ, those who believe in the Lord Jesus will see me and rejoice. Be a blessing. How? How can we be a blessing to one another? My first point that I think is in the text is to live in community. Notice that he says, see me. How are we going to see one another unless we're in community? If you don't ever show up or I don't ever show up, we won't see each other. I want to experience your joys, your sorrows, your concerns in order to be blessed by them, pray for them, etc. We must live in community. We're all, the Bible tells us those of us who are in Christ are all members of one body, right? 1 Corinthians 12, in case you want to know where it says, 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, that there may be no division in the body, that is the body of Christ, but that the members, that's us who know Jesus, may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's a family affair that the Apostle Paul is speaking of, that I think the psalmist is speaking of. All true believers are members of the body of Christ, and this takes place when? At regeneration. In that point when you come to Christ by faith, confess your sins, as Dennis mentioned this morning, what happens? You are introduced or you're born into the family of God. That's when this all begins. This is not what I'm the, the author here in verse 74, or what Paul is speaking about in 1 Corinthians 12, is not about local church membership per se. It's very important. But it's not about like becoming a member on the role of Sun Valley Church. It's about membership in the family of God, the universal church, the body of Christ. The true church is made up of people who have confessed their sins to God and put their hope and trust in the finished work of Christ. If you've done that, you're in the family. As we live our lives together in this valley, we experience joys and sorrows of living with one another. In our physical body, when we stub our toe, the rest of our body doesn't ignore that, does it? Our mouth participates when you stub your toe, right? It says, ouch. And then your mind jumps in and says, hey, eyes, would you please pay attention to where the furniture is next time? I just experienced some pain down there in the lower region. Please stop that. Pay attention. And so all these body parts are participating in this experience of pain. And I think that's a rough way to talk about the experience in the family of God. Um, this is what we have been commanded to do, to participate in each other's joys and sorrows. Romans 12, 15, for example, rejoice, Paul said, with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This is what we sang about this morning, if you recall. The song, oh, how good it is, oh, how good it is, when the family of God dwells together in spirit and faith and unity, and it's like a kumbaya song, man. I'm feeling good this morning. This is how we're supposed to live. Second stanza, oh, how good it is 
on this journey we share to rejoice with the happy and weep with those who mourn. For the weak find strength, the afflicted find grace when we offer the blessing of belonging. We're singing about this stuff. We believe this stuff. Are we doing this stuff? Well, when we do, second point here is it brings glory to God. When we can live like that, friends, it brings glory to God. God is more glorified, listen, when we praise him together. Uh, it says in the Old Testament that God prefers the gates of Jerusalem to the tents of Jacob. What does that mean? Well, you can worship and, and praise God in your own tent with your family by yourself. That's great and good. You should. But when we gather at the gates of Jerusalem to do the same thing, God prefers that. God prefers that we gather together and worship praise and sing his praises than doing it by ourselves. He prefers it. So why not do that? Which is what we do every single week. God loves us to live in authentic community with each other, striving to love, serve each other as we follow Christ. Psalm 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. He didn't just say, go magnify the Lord, period. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. It's a community affair. It's a corporate church situation. We could say it like this. Harmony is more enjoyable to God than melody. You may be able to make a great melody, but you can't harmonize with yourself. You ever tried that? Well, we can't live the Christian life like that either. We need one another to make harmony. And God enjoys that harmony. As we review scripture, the scene of heaven or any place where God shows up, what are we reading about when it comes to praises that we read of? Do we ever come across praises that are basically individual? Very rarely in scripture. When the angels, plural, showed up to announce Jesus' birth is a good example. In Isaiah 6, when the angels, plural, were acknowledging God's holiness, seems that in, in the book of Revelation, the same thing. Heavenly hosts, groups of people, groups of beings are always responding to God's glory together. God prefers corporate praise to my private praise, which he also loves, but he prefers us praising him. Next, it brings mutual encouragement when we live in community, authentic community. I think this is one primary way that the body of Christ, his church, is edified and built up. This is how you're encouraged to live the Christian life, to walk with Christ faithfully, daily, is by seeing others do it, right? By, by seeing them, following their example, participating with them. Our experiences in both happiness and sorrow bring hope and encouragement, joy and comfort to one another. This happens when the local church is living together in authentic community. When God sustains you through dark times, it brings great assurance and hope that he might sustain me in dark times. Seeing him do it for you gives me hope and vice versa. On the other hand, if this church is just a fulfillment 
of your weekly obligation, then you will not benefit from one of God's key strategies in building up your soul. When you go through trials and lean on God and his word, you become a monument of grace to the rest of us. We realize that God has had mercy in your life, and he just may do that for me. The rest of us can look to that. I think we can all learn from believers who struggle through difficult marriages, challenges with children, loss of employment, health struggles. God is faithful to them and can be depended upon when we face those same things. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talked about his own salvation. He says in 1 Timothy 1.16, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, foremost of what? He said in the verse before this, the foremost of sinners, the chief of sinners. So God has had mercy on me. This is why he had mercy on me, because I'm the chief of sinners, that in that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What's this mean? If God can save Paul, he can save me. Paul was a bum, and God saved him. We can be the same kind of demonstration to those around us. If God can save that guy, he can certainly save me. If God can be a support for that person through their trial, he can be a support for me through my trial. This only happens in community. And I think this is the message of verse 74 of Psalm 119. Those who fear you will see me and rejoice. Psalm 66, verse 16 is a parallel passage that says something very similar. Come and hear, all you who fear God. All you who are followers, listen to me. I'm going to tell you what God has done for my soul. Why would someone want to hear that? Because it brings encouragement to the heart. That's why. Friends, we all struggle with the same things. You're not of the mind that you have a unique challenge, right? If you are, Pastor Rick's a good counselor. Okay. We all have similar struggles. Similar challenges, but listen closely. We all have the same God, the same hope, the same grace, the same salvation. This is a community affair. As faithful Christians, we must flood our minds with God's word like this psalm has encouraged us so that we will better understand our circumstances. Know God's word so you can understand what you're going through. And be filled with hope as the word gives us as we face the uncertain future. But this attitude, this practice spills out, overflows from us to those around us so they too will receive encouragement. This living in authentic community also lessens pain. You ever find yourself doing this as soon as you get home from work? Finding your spouse and letting them know how sore you are or how tired you are? Or how in need of rest you are? Why do you do those things? Is it a guise for complaining? No. Well, maybe it is for you, but um, it's not intended to be that, I think, if we, if we look at it correctly. The reason we do that is because it lessens our pain when we share it. You ever notice that? This is, this is a good thing. <laughs> this is exactly what happens. Shared pain lessens pain. It also intensifies joy. Same kind of thing, you know, we're an uh, odd creation. We need support in our pain and in our joy. And so the reason we share our joy is because it makes that much more intense, our joy. 
I want to share with you things that are making me happy because it makes me happier when I share it with you. Luke 15 is a demonstration of this. We need to live this way. We share our joy, share our sorrows, lessen the pain, intensify the joy. Now, this is, we're speaking about the role of an authentic person, that we must live in community. And let me, let me add this. This is the second main point under that second heading. We must live not just in community, but we must live authentically in this community. We can't just show up and get the benefit of being a part of a community. You can't just be on the periphery and expect to be blessed. You might, by accident, get in the way of some blessing. But to participate in a local community as God has designed us to, we must participate. We must authentically participate to get the full value of what God has for us, to live authentically in this community. As highly unlikely as it is for a person to be an authentically godly person in isolation, it's also unreasonable to do so because of the point of godliness, the objective of godliness, which is what? The objective of godliness is to bring glory to God and joy to his people. The reason we pursue godliness is what? So that it will bring joy to those around us. If you will pursue God, it will make me happy. If I pursue God, it will make you happy. This is how God's designed it. Why? To draw us together. To be a reflection of himself in his community, in his family. There, there is great personal benefit from living a godly life, obviously. The Bible speaks of that. But that's not the focus of this passage. And I would say it's less the point of the pursuit of godliness than, it, than is the community blessing of it. The focus of our passage is that there is corporate blessing from private godliness. That's what I think verse 74 shows us. There is corporate blessing in private godliness. Listen to what it says. Those who fear you, those who trust God those who don't want to disappoint him, those who believe what he says, those who fear you will see me and rejoice. Why? Because I've hoped in your word. Because I'm pursuing godliness. They'll rejoice. The reason that God desires us to live authentically in an authentic, in an authentic community include the following. Number one, to share private blessings. To share private blessings. I think there is a great necessity for the believer to declare public thanksgiving for things they've experienced in private. You say, well, I'm not an extrovert. And I would say, well, get over it. <laughs> Become a participant. Psalm 22, verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. That's a public event, isn't it? I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Why? For the joy of the congregation. Psalm 40, verse 9, I have told the glad news of deliverance. I was in trouble and you delivered me. Where will I do this? In the great con congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. And you know this, God. 
This is God's desire. This is God's design for you to be fulfilled, for you to experience all that he has for you when you authentically participate in a local body. Not hanging around on the periphery. No. I think it's fair to say you will not grow in Christ. You will not experience the joy of following him if you stay on the periphery. It won't happen. I don't care how many podcasts you listen to. I don't, know, I don't care how many verses you have memorized. If you stay on the periphery, you will not experience the joy found in Christ. Period. One reason we gather here Sunday after Sunday, one reason we gather at first Wednesday and in our prayer meetings monthly, even in our small groups weekly, is to offer praise and thanksgiving to God. When one of us share, have you ever noticed this, that when one of us shares in a corporate setting some praise or thanksgiving, it triggers something in your mind to think of something that God has done for you, doesn't it? It does that. It's like, it's like dogs in your neighborhood that are barking. Who started this? You know, you look at your neighbor's dog in the eye and he goes, ah, what me? But that, that's, that happens to all of God's creation. Birds make birds sing, dogs make dogs bark. Praising God makes Christians praise God. Corporately. We also see in the corporate setting the blessing of mutual prayer. Besides the offering of, of encouraged praise and thanksgiving, it's this, the, the praying, the mutual prayer that takes place in a corporate setting. That doesn't by yourself. This is a sharing of a private need in public. Small groups, great setting for that. A few times in the Bible, we see this strange phenomenon taking place. Answered prayer only when someone other than the person with the need prays it. Answered prayer when only someone that is, doesn't have the need prays the prayer. For example, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 7, Abimelech had a need. All right, he was sick. His whole family was sick because he was holding on to Sarah, Abraham's wife. So God says to Abimelech, listen, give his wife back, and you go ask Abraham to pray for you, and I'll answer his prayer, not yours. Same thing happened to Job. Remember that? Job's friends kind of dealt with Job wrongly. God said what to them? He said, go to Job, ask him to offer a sacrifice for you, ask him to pray for you, and then I'll heal you. So here's the truth. This is a biblical principle. Sometimes there are needs that you have that will not be answered until you share them with someone else who will do the praying for you. As long as you're willing to go it on your own, the prayer will not be answered. You must share it. And I've given you two examples. There are many more in Scripture. Share your prayer requests as part of an authentic Christian community. This is what we do. We praise God together. We give thanks together. We pray together for one another. Now, the reason that God desires us to live in authentic Christian community is because there's blessing in this corporate community. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I've hinted at it off and on, but let me say it directly. None of us has all the gifts or all the talents required to represent or experience Christ in all his fullness. I like that. 
You can't experience Christ in all of his fullness by yourself. You must have the church. You represent a certain angle of Christ, if you will. I represent another angle of Christ. The next person, a different angle. And together, all these angles bring together that beautiful diamond of Christ's character that we cannot produce on our own. We need one another to do that here at Sun Valley Church. What angle are you presenting? Are you doing it faithfully here? We need you to do that. And this course is intended by God to draw us together, to bring about the transformation and joy that God intends for each of us to experience and have. You see, God has strategically placed us into a family, a community. The moment that we're regenerated, it's, it's, a, it's not uh, the only way he could do things. It's the way he chose to do things because that produces this community I've been describing all morning. We are not saved into a singular or private relationship with Christ. We're saved to a family. We're saved into the church. I don't think you can do Christianity by yourself. I'm positive of it. And I think this particular truth is critically important for your spiritual life. Some say, well, I believe in God. I just don't believe in the church. I've been hurt too many times. Well, that, that is unfortunate. But the reality is you're born into a family, whether it's spiritual or physical. You can't participate in the human race unless you're born into a family. As much as we'd like to change that reality, it requires a family to participate in either the physical or spiritual realm. And this is by God's design. So to live authentically in community also demonstrates the need for others' input. This is a reality that doesn't take long to figure out. Um, many times we're blinded to our own motives, actions, attitudes. And when we live in community, this allows us the spiritual assistance. It, it reveals what is actually going on in our heart when someone comes up and challenges us on a certain attitude or action. Our own hearts, as you know, are good at deceiving us into believing that, oh, everything's fine. And everything is fine by yourself, right? I mean, you're a wonderful Christian when you're by yourself, I think, probably, maybe. It's when we get into camping situations with other Christians that our attitudes are revealed. I, I picked up wood for the last fire. Where were you when that was going on? You know, this kind of stuff comes out really quickly in the Christian experience, doesn't it, in the corporate setting. I served in the nursery for three weeks in a row. I haven't seen you around. What's going on? You know, that kind of stuff. So by yourself, you may be a wonderful Christian. The church would be wonderful if it weren't for people. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But when we get into relationships, at least authentic ones, and we have the true joy of examination, loving examination, we grow in Christ. This protects us from developing hard hearts, Hebrews 3 tells us. Being in authentic community also is, I think, a very important means of growing in Christ. You may be able to be 
the growing Christ in your daily Bible reading, critical, important, in your daily prayer time, critically important. Um, whatever means and methods you use to grow in Christ, I think are good, important. But one thing that is critical is your authentic involvement in this community. It's here where you're gonna be challenged to grow, challenged to change, challenged to adapt, challenged to love, challenged to care sacrificially and so forth. Uh, we, we believe and depend on the word of God um, that this must be the case. Friends, when, when we actually do that, when we depend on the word of God, when we believe on Christ, um, others will grow in their Christian joy, their hope and their peace. When we do the opposite, of course, when we doubt the word, when we ignore the word, um, our conduct reflects that and it becomes a spiritual discouragement to those around us. I think starting with those who are closest to us. If I begin to doubt God's word, my enthusiasm to trust it and to depend on it will be diminished and that will affect my conduct, which will cause my wife and my children to lose hope. We're in community whether we like it or not. Friends, as this relates to the body of Christ, it's, it's kind of like a stringed instrument. When one of the strings is out of tune, it affects the sound of the instrument, no matter how talented the musician. In the body of Christ, when one of us isn't in tune, the rest of us can hear it. The rest of us are concerned by it. So we grow to, as we grow in Christ together, the local church, we, we learn to pray for one another and pray more regularly. We see each other in need when we're connected to each other and, and we're able and willing to lift each other up, to build each other up, to pray for one another, to encourage one another. This all causes spiritual growth. We also give praise to God for each other when we experience the gifts and blessing that God has granted each of us individually. When I see you exercising your spiritual gifts, it brings me joy. When you see one another and serve next to one another, it brings you joy. I got to say this, at Sun Valley Church, it is a great encouragement to those of us who can see a broad picture of our participation, how encouraging it is to see how much you serve and love and care for each other. Is there room for growth? Certainly. But a great encouragement from me to you as your pastor, I love seeing how you're serving, how you're loving, how you're connected. Do I, do I want more? Yes. Paul says, I like the way you love, but love more. And so that's what I'm saying. Th this causes spiritual growth. We cannot live in isolation and expect these things to happen by chance. Paul said this to the Corinthian church who was living separate lives. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. To the eye... The eye cannot say to the brain, I really don't care about my toes. Well, you, you'll care eventually. Friends, we grow in Christ as we live together in authentic community because our close relationships exposes our needs for one another, exposes our need for Christ, exposes our need for his word, and living together solves those things, strengthens those things, helps us be and experience all that God wants us to be and experience. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Let's pray.
Holy Spirit, I pray that in your grace you would do this for Sun Valley Church, that you would help us be that authentic Christian community that brings you glory and joy to your people, joy to us in this room, uh, an attractive joy that would draw our friends and neighbors and coworkers to Christ, that would be a source of hope to our children, a, a place of, of rest for all of us who desire that in our day of difficulties. Father, bless us now as we consider these truths, as we think about our role in this church. I pray that we would commit ourselves to being more intentional, that we'd be more connected, that we'd be participants, not, not observers, but participants in this body, Sun Valley Church, in which you have placed us. Bless us, Father, in your name. In the name of your dear Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.